Andrew Lloyd Webber blockbuster Phantom of the Opera has won over 70 major theatre awards, including seven Tony Awards on Broadway, four Olivier Awards in the West End. Now, the Phantom of the Opera became the longest running show in Broadway history on January 9, 2006, when it celebrated its 7,486th performance. And it's coming to Dubai very soon in October this year. This week, we sit down with the star of Phantom of the Opera, the Phantom himself, Jonathan Rocksmith, on the Esquire Q&A podcast to get a little insight about the man behind the mask. Thank you so much for joining us at the Esquire Q&A podcast today, Thank Andrew. You. How are you doing? I'm great. I'm yeah. great. Thank you. Um, now, tell me one thing. You have the most interesting job in Broadway right now. Indeed. Indeed. What is it like finally, you know, realizing that you're playing the Phantom in the famed Phantom of the Opera? Um, I, I don't, I don't say this lightly. Um, I've, I've played this role before, um, and coming back to it, like, I still get very sentimental about it because I'm, I'm a fan of the show first. I always was. So the, it, it's kind of like. A Star Wars fan getting to play Luke Skywalker every day. It's its like it's cosplay on another level for me. Um, I still have those moments where I'll be waiting to go on and I'll walk to stage and I'll walk past a mirror and I'll see myself and I'll go, I'm, like, I'm, the, I'm the Phantom, you know. Um, in a word, its, it's it still blows my mind. But Jonathan, how did you know you got the role? How, what, what was the phone call like when you realized you well, were going to play the Well, my history with the show is quite interesting because when I first played it in 2011, I was actually cast as Raoul, six shows a week in The Phantom, two shows a week. Our original Phantom um, left the production early and they called me in. Our first preview was Cursed because the paint on the stage hadn't dried. Sorry, the Australian paint hadn't dried. That's what we were told. Because there was this whole thing about, oh, it's come over from Australia, so it's it's gone off in transit. But long story short, the stage is very, very glossy and very, very black. And you need two sets of chemicals to cure it. One of those was off. So our first preview, it was tacky, so you couldn't do anything on it. So we did a concert performance, all in costume in front of microphones. And... We all went home and we were like, that was a disaster. And they called me in the next day for notes. And I was like, you can't give me notes from a concert performance. And I went in and they said, look, um, the original guy playing the Phantom has opted to bow out. And we were wondering, would you be interested in playing the Phantom indefinitely? That's big. I, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's one of those, you know, overnight stories that, like even now, every time I tell it, I can't believe it happened, but it did. So we finished the run in 2012. Um, I did Johannesburg, uh, Cape Town, and then we did Manila in the Philippines. And then I went on to other stuff. And, you know, cut to seven, eight years later, I I got a, a, a an email. Um, Look, we're looking at remounting the production. Um, we, we'd love to have you back. Um, and there's a saying in Phantom that you never leave the family with a PH. And I was like, mm-hmm, yeah, sure. <laughs> it's true. Um, and I, the, the director just said to me, um, you know, eight years have passed. Can you still sing it? And I was like, sure, I'll, I'll, I'll sing Music of the Night. I sent the tape off. And he said, great, because we had a new musical director on this one. And uh, he said, 
great, we'll see you for rehearsal in January. It was that simple. Um, and I, I still was nervous and excited as if it was the first day. And we got there and we started from the top of the show. And the pianist started, went dun, da 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 da. And I was like, here we go. It's amazing. So it kind of felt like coming back home. Every time. And they kind of knew that you were a bankable phantom, considering that you'd played the role before, you'd been with the family, mm-hmm. as they say. Um, you know, you'd cut your chops, you'd, you'd done it. So, so you were the bankable, the bankable guy to do it, right? Yeah, the first time around, there was a lot of doubt because I was the youngest English-speaking phantom in the world. Um, I, I was doing it at 24, which, you know, yeah, I was a bit young for the role and there was a lot to prove. But the director saw something in me to the degree that he said, let's have him back, you know, and he, he had the faith and made it clear to everybody. And, yeah, there was a, there was a lot less to prove this time because, I, you know, I felt that he'd basically given his seal of approval inviting me back. And he, he said this time around, let's explore even more uh, because you've had eight years more of life and experience and all of that stuff to bring to it. And indeed, he was right. So coming back to it is an even more sort of fascinating experience because a lot of the stuff that was difficult to to do before is a lot easier now on the other side of 30. I mean, you got your big break at 24, but how did you truly get started in the industry? I was about to sit down to write my matric finals at the end of my high school sort of career. And it was two weeks before... And there was this audition notice that went out for the, we have a a range of theatres called the Barnyard Theatres in South Africa. And they they normally do review shows, rock shows, live band shows. But they wanted to do their first musical, which was Grease. So they put out an audition brief. They wanted a younger cast because Grease takes place in high school. And I got the role of Teen Angel, who sings Beauty School Dropout. And I sat down to write my matric finals uh, one of the few people in the room with a guaranteed job the next year, some of the teachers included. And it was it was weird for me because my mom had said to me, look, take a year off, do have a gap year, get this theatre thing out of your system, as she said. <laughs> and, uh, you know, she wanted me to be a criminal lawyer. Look, we live in Johannesburg. I'd never run out of work, let's be fair. <laughs> but I had a year to get it out of my system. Well, that was 2006. I've had a 13-year gap here so far. From wanting to be a criminal lawyer to... Oh, I never wanted to. You never wanted I, to. I, I just went with what my mum said, you know. Um, I also, I had an over-glamorized idea of a lawyer in my head because I'd only watched American law programs that have the jury system. And in South Africa, we don't have the jury system, or as I like to call them, the audience. So, you know, you only argue to a magistrate. Yeah. Um, and I, the minute I heard there was no audience involved in law, I wasn't interested anymore. <laughs> so, I suppose I always wanted to so be an actor. So you always wanted to perform, yeah, whether it was an in a courtroom or Precisely. on a Broadway stage. It was always it was a performance that drew you yeah. to to whatever you. Did. I saw the movie of Chicago um, and Richard Gere doing that whole tap dance with the jury. I was like, <laughs> that is the best of all worlds. Didn't happen for me. Well, maybe a courtroom drama is what you should do next. That'd be all right. Or Boston Legal, the musical. How about Ooh, that? <laughs> I think that sounds fantastic. Suits the musical, actually. Yeah. Harvey Specter, I'm there. Yeah. Well, you know, that might be Deal. given a go now, <laughs> considering one of their biggest stars is now the Duchess of Sussex. We hope. We hope. <laughs> um, now, so just to sort of talk through 
every single role that you've played in the past. You've played Billy Flynn mm-hmm. in Chicago, uh, Che in Evita, mm-hmm. uh, Danny in Greece, mm-hmm. uh, Gaston in Beauty and the Beast. What yeah. was it like, you know, being a part of these big productions? Look, um, Gaston was my first big musical that I did. Um, and I there was a big gamble with Gaston, in fact, because um, he's only in... I think four or five scenes in the entire show. And I had a logistical thing that was a bit of a nightmare at the time. So you have Johannesburg and Cape Town, two cities, and they're two hours apart by plane. Now, I was going to start rehearsals for Gaston. Um, It was a five-week rehearsal period in Johannesburg. The middle three weeks, I was in Cape Town doing another show. But I figured, it's only five scenes, I can fly up for the days they need me and then go back to Cape Town and do the show. And they said, okay, fine. Do you agree to that? Well, whenever we need you. I was like, absolutely. They said, just sign here. I said, great. <laughs> and then they told me they needed me every day. Without You signed without looking at the fine print. Yeah, yeah. Lesson number one. <laughs> so for three weeks, I would wake up at 4.30 in the morning, be at the airport by 6 to fly at 7, to be in Johannesburg by 9, to start rehearsal at 10, to end at 3, to leave at rehearsal, to be, leave rehearsal, to be at the airport by 4, to fly at 5, to land at 7, to do a show at 8. I did that for three weeks. Wow. And I was the, the thinnest Gaston you've ever seen. He's meant to be this big, muscular <laughs> man. I was like the thinnest, <laughs> leanest Gaston ever. But it worked. And I, I don't regret those 27 flights at all. Wow, that sounds like an insane schedule. It was, you know what, I was 22 and I could. And it was, yeah. it was, it was a fun adventure. I missed one flight of the entire thing because the plane, there was something wrong with the plane. But I think that got word out in my little industry back home that I was serious about it and that I would do whatever it took, even if it almost killed me. A reputation I uphold to this very day, sometimes to my own detriment, but it was... Like, I, I wouldn't change that for the world. It's not only is it a fantastic story to tell now, what I learned in that time and getting into the big musicals from there launched an entire new path for me. And from there on, you know, we went into Cats and then Grease and then Jesus Christ Superstar up until the first run of Phantom that I did back then. And I don't think Phantom would have happened if I wasn't in Beauty and the Beast. Wow, but that's an impressive sort of career resume that you've garnered over, you know, the last decade or so. Do you know, it, it, it's easy to say, yes, well, you know, it, it all worked out. But I, I met the right people at the right time. And I think this business, like most things in entertainment and anything, I suppose, where you're freelancing and going from contract to contract, it's about the right people at the right time. I don't believe in luck. I believe in timing. So what is showbiz like? Is it is it everything, you know, that the audience thinks it is? Is it is it glamour and glitz and and you know, one exciting city from another, one exciting production to another? Or, you know, what are the real aspects of it that probably we as an audience don't really get to see? Most people who look at the theater and dream about being in the theater are in nine to five jobs a certain degree of job security, safety, um, you can take it for granted, basically. The theatre is a week-to-week basis. A show can close at any time. So you you take the risk along with the producer by doing a musical and dedicating your life to being in a musical. So if you don't work, you don't get paid, which means you don't eat. 
That's the fact. It's a freelance business. Yes, you do get to, if you're lucky, you land a touring contract like the Phantom of the Opera, which goes on tour for X number of years and takes you all over the world. It doesn't always happen like that. Sometimes you are in South Africa for seven years like I was, going from show to show to show. Luckily, if you can, and if you, if you, if you can't be in someone else's show, you write your own show. But if you don't work, you don't earn. That's the thing. So I think a, a large portion of it comes down to planning um, and being sensible about things. You know, there's this is horrible misnomer. Oh, there's no money in theatre. There is money in theatre. There's no financial planning in theatre. Because a typical actor goes, oh, it's payday, drinks on me. And I remember we, we had somebody who came to my high school to do a business talk. And he said, the first thing you do is you have to learn about compound interest because that is a freelance worker's biggest friend. It's the eighth wonder of the world. It's true. And from there on, if you're sensible about it, you can build a very good life for yourself, thinking 10 years ahead all the time. So I think that's that's the number one thing um, that, I, that I've learned. It's not glamorous at all in that respect. Yes, an opening night where you put on a tux and you look fantastic and people want your autograph and your picture. That is fantastic. That's about 1% of the job, though. The rest of the time, it's, you know, spending an inordinate amount of time thinking that you're terrible and that you're not talented enough and that you're going to get fired at any moment because you're going to get found out for being a fraud or uh, not getting it right in rehearsal and continually having a director say, you're not there yet, um, you know, knocking your self-confidence, all of that, working your backside off, sweating and crying and, you know, the blood that goes into it. But this, the, the strange thing about the theatre is it's so addictive to any genuine theatre actor that you will go through all of that hell. You will spend six weeks in a rehearsal studio hating it, questioning it, but you get on stage and you get that first laugh or that first round of applause and it's all worth it and you'll do it all over again. We're addicts. It's the same thing. It could kill us one day, but we'll do it for one more hit. Yeah, you keep going you no keep, matter what. You just, you need to. And I think that's what sets theatre apart from any other business. Most people in a, in a standard nine-to-five job, they like doing it. They enjoy doing it. Very few need to do it. And I think the secret to doing theatre is you have to need to do it. If you want to do it and like to do it and can do it, you shouldn't do it. You have to need to. There needs to be some external force driving you other than, you know, what is already on the internal table. force internal <laughs> internal force got nothing to do with the outside it's got to come from in there a need to do it otherwise also i mean an audience can tell the difference between somebody on stage who is there because it's nice or because they like to or because they can as opposed to someone who needs to be there um that's that for me has been the biggest epiphany to do with the theater so you're in dubai for a week mm-hmm what are your first thoughts about the city so far? Well, I was here in 2014, and the Dubai of 2014 versus the Dubai of 2019 is completely different. The rate of change in this town is just, it blows my mind. The skyline is completely different to what I recognized from back then. Indeed, the Opera House, it <laughs> wasn't around. So its that's fascinating to me. And it, I've realized that just because you've been to Dubai before doesn't mean you know Dubai at all. And this time around, I'm going to have a lot more time, you know, from October 16th onwards, I'm going to have a lot more time to explore Dubai and find out what Dubai is now. 
So uh, I, I, I look forward to that, to seeing. Also, I, I don't want to see the Dubai that the, that the tourists like to see. I want to see the Dubai that the locals know. That's always my thing going to a new city. I don't care what the tourists enjoy doing. I want to know what people who live here enjoy doing. Yeah. It's very different from what the tourists do and what oh, the locals do, yeah, for sure. Certainly. You know, y- y- yes. Okay. So the Burj and the uh, the name escapes me now, the building that looks like a sail, the blue and white one. The Burj Al Arab. Thank you. The other Burj. <laughs> yeah. Let's put it that way. The, yeah. So the two Burjes. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and, and the rest, you know, great. I want to see what the real city is that they keep away from the tourists. I want to know what some of the best kept secrets are. That for me is is the heart of a city. Well, you can always hit us up in October and then we'll show please, you around the city. Please, please. Sure. Um, now, coming back to The Phantom, you know, what has it been like getting into a room with all these actors? How far along is the production at right now? Um, you know, what can we look forward to? What what has been going on behind the scenes that you can tell us? Yeah. Um, you see, the thing with Phantom is because it's been around for so long and because it's played so many countries, there's always a rich source of actors to draw on who've done it before that can come in, brush up for a week and a half, two weeks, and get on stage. That's indeed what happened the last time. We did it in South Africa. The majority of the South African company went to Manila. We were supplemented with a few people from overseas. We spent two weeks and the production was on its feet. This time around, we all met in Manila. And when I say we, I'm talking about over 12 different nationalities. The significance of that is people are coming from different backgrounds, in some cases, different languages, different attitudes about theater, different work ethics, different skill sets. And we all have to learn together from the ground up. We were all leveled out, regardless of whether we'd done it before or not. And we relearned the show from the ground up together for six weeks. That hardly ever happens in Phantom. The reason I I think that that is so important is we had to bond together as a new family, again, with a PH. (laughs) Um, What that does is it, it, it adds an element of electricity and freshness to the production that isn't always there because it's been around for so long. And it's, you know, for instance, New York and London, those productions have been there for over 30 years each now. I'm not saying that they don't have electricity or that they aren't exciting, but, you know, people get slotted in all the time. Mm. There's no point where it it pauses and we get six weeks to re-look at the show with new eyes. Just like hit the reset button for a Precisely that. Precisely that. So we got to do that as a luxury Um, for six weeks and then a week and a half of tech. You know, that's, that's almost two months that we spent rediscovering the show. And what that did is it gave the audience a fresh version of a staple product. And that, for me, I, you know, you you ask what was it like coming back to it. It was brand new. I wasn't coming back to anything that I knew before. This was all new. So that, for me, has been really, really exciting as an actor, as well as a fan of the show, seeing all these things just light up in a brand new way. Not only is the cast fresh, but the sets, the costumes, the technology of the show has been completely rehauled from the ground up. Phantom has at least four sets of costumes and sets around the world to pick from. Wow. Not this one. All new. So from scratch? From scratch. I was flown to New York to go sit in the legendary Eric Winterling's workshop 
and have them build my costumes on me from the ground up. I saw the fabric arrive <laughs> from Scotland, brand new. They pulled it out, this beautiful black silk, and two of my two brand new suits were made for me from that. All my shirts were made brand new for me. There, all my bow ties, my cufflinks, my jewelry, my shoes. It you don't get this level of luxury every time with Phantom because it's generally existing there, and they tailor it to you. But you generally have three other people's names in your in your collars. You know, there's only one label in my costume, and it has my name on it. That's amazing for me. You know, like, again, that little boy that used to listen to the tape when he was like seven years old, I'm one of the originals now. That's insane. Not just me, but everybody else in the production. And again, what that does for morale is everybody goes, this is for me. I'm important. I'm special enough. I'm valued enough. I'm recognized enough that I get this attention mm. from the, the, the original people who were there with Michael Crawford and Sarah Brightman that's amazing. Do you ever have to go, you know, pinch yourself and be like, I can't believe this is real? Constantly. Constantly. I mean, I, I know that sounds cliche and, you know, a few people out there probably rolling their eyes and going, oh, come on. For real. Constantly. Because it's it's not just a dream come true. You, you're part of history. You know, Phantom is is more than a musical. It's not just a show that's run for 32 years now in London and on Broadway. It's an heirloom. Most families out there who who adore Phantom, you know, the, the the grandparents saw the show originally. They then brought their kids. Twenty years went by, and their kids brought their kids. I mean, just to put it in perspective for all our listeners, um, the Phantom of the Opera became the longest running show in the in Broadway history mm-hmm. on January 9th, two thousand and six, when it celebrated its seven thousand four hundred and eighty sixth performance mm-hmm. i mean Not that was that was 10, that was that was 2006 yeah. it's 2019 right yeah. now so just to put it into perspective just what a storied history this production has and you can go to the theater the majestic theater on broadway now and you can see there is a line outside that theater every performance it's still got brand new people coming to see it for the first time um people are seeing it for their you know, 110th time, it goes on and on and on. And my the thing that I love is the amount of kids that are brought to it. It's their first experience of a theatre, you know, being in a theatre, let alone watching a theatre production. Um, you want to talk about setting the bar high, you take your kids to Phantom, I mean, my goodness. <laughs> but it's it's extraordinary. Anybody who's seen the show knows that there is a sense of prestige about the production that you don't have in many, many musicals. You walk into that theatre and already what you see is this this black and gold proscenium arch with like these sculptures on it. It looks like a beautiful frame in a museum. And on stage there's this, this, this sort of pile of dust covers and it says chandelier on the front. And it's all covered. You don't know what's under there. The show starts and something amazing happens with that. I'm not going to give it away, but if you've seen the production, you know what I'm talking about. It's... Lots of shows remind you of Phantom, but Phantom reminds you of nothing else. It's it's on its own. It always will be. It, it sort of created its own genre. And being part of it is... I, I'm spoiled because when I go to another production one day, hopefully not for a long time, but when I go to another production, I'm going to you know, constantly be comparing it to Phantom. 
I mean, you've sort of answered my next question, which was, you know, why is it one of the most anticipated shows um, around the world? But in Dubai and on Dubai's show calendar, it is one of the most anticipated shows. And, and that was a bit of a surprise to you, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm thrilled. Look, don't get me wrong. I'm thrilled to hear that. Um, because I don't assume that Phantom's going to be a runaway success immediately everywhere it plays. It gets there. Because word of mouth is what sells anything these days. You know, when Phantom first opened, yes, it was anticipated in the West End, but it took a little bit of time and then it was off and, and you know, untouchable now. Um, but I also acknowledge we're in 2019 now. We're not in 86. You know, is it safe to assume? It's never safe to assume in the theatre that things are going to be a hit. Um, I also know that, you know, Phantom is playing territories on this world tour that it has never played before. That's a, a relief for me because I'm not going to be compared to the last guy who played it here. Um, but B, it's it's so wonderful to see people's reaction for the first time when that boat comes on, when when things happen with the chandelier, when when Christine and, and Phantom, you know, things happen between those two characters. I can't – I'm as excited as the audience. You know, the audience is excited to see The Phantom for the first time. I'm excited to see the audience see the show for the first time because that sense of wonder, you know, taking a show back to a, sh a city that's had it two times before, they know what's coming. It's still great, but they know what's coming. Here, everything is going to be a surprise every time. For an actor, that is electric. So when was the last time the cast sat down with each other to go over the show? In, in, in terms of a rehearsal? Yeah. Well, our last performance was two Sundays ago. Okay. In the Philippines. Um, we meet again on Monday. It's mm -hmm. coming Monday uh, for, for tech. And our first audience in Singapore is, I think, on Wednesday. Um. Luckily, we, we don't have big breaks between between gaps, so we don't have to go over anything per se. We just do a tech rehearsal to make sure that the show works in a new setting, mm -hmm. sound-wise, lighting-wise, all of that, and we know where we're going backstage. That That's that's the, the, the joy of touring now. Um, but I was looking at some of my friends' Facebook statuses and things and they were saying walking around the house singing masquerade and and you know uh, one of the one of the guys um his wife uh, said aren't you tired of it and he said no not yet now coming to a few fun questions that mm. we've put together for you is there a city that you like to perform at the most i would love to take phantom to paris uh it's where the show's set mm. it's where the the the, the opera uh, well, we have it called the Opera Populaire in the show, uh, but it's the Garnier in, in Paris. Um, I think it would be amazing to perform the show in the city that it's set in. I've also never been to Paris. That would be amazing. Um, but if you really pushed me, oh, I'd love to do it on Broadway. I'd love to do the show on Broadway. At his home, would you say? Absolutely. Look, the... Her Majesty's is Phantom's home. That's where it <laughs> first played ever. But Broadway, there's something so special about that city. I, I find a lot of similarities in Dubai, actually, to New York. The energy of the city, the buzz. Um, I I normally sleep with my curtains open wherever I'm in. You it's can't a, do I that can't here. do it here. It's like daytime no. out there and the noise. But, um, yeah, New York and Paris. Go on. Next one. Uh, besides Phantom of the Opera, what's your favorite show 
It could be something you've seen, not necessarily something you've performed in. It's phantom. And I, I, I know that sounds twee. Let me put it this way. I'd like to, th people often say to me, what, what other roles do you want to play after Phantom? I'd like to think that my next big role or my next dream role hasn't been written yet. And that somebody's going to see me and say, he's the guy we've been waiting for and we'll start something brand new because everything that's in existence compared to Phantom pales in comparison. Do you think the audience will get that when they watch it? I think in so. Dubai? Yeah. I think so. And do you get nervous before shows? Every time. And how do you deal with it? Particularly Phantom, and I'll tell you why. I, you know, the music of the night is a very difficult song for the Phantom to sing. It's high, and the top note is on the word B. Now, B is a very difficult word to sing, because when you're singing high, you need an open vowel, like O or R, even E. But E is really difficult. I've cracked on that note once before in front of a paying audience, not just like a, a little crack, like a typical high school kid voice breaking crack. The terror of that ever happening again is so real. Every time I sing music of the night, I almost say a little prayer because I, it's terrifying and the pressure is huge. Even last night at the press event that we did, I sang music of the night and, you know, let your soul take you where you long to be. Oh, thank goodness. It's, um, it's nerve-wracking every single time. But also, there's such an expectation with the Phantom as a role. Uh, every performance. I'm, I'm not just nervous. I'm a bit terrified. I mean, it's a challenging song. It's a challenging role. <laughs> it's a challenging role. Luckily, my makeup artist, Alice Cridland, is a very zen, sort of calm lady. And she keeps me in my place. And when I'm starting to hyperventilate, she says, stop it now. So I've got, I've got good people around me. I think you need someone like that around you. Desperately. <laughs> Next one. Um, do you ever want to make the jump from, you know, Broadway to the big screen? If it's a musical, sure. But I, I need an audience. I, I think the number one thing that sets theatre apart from film is it's live. You have one chance to get it right today. Um, and if it doesn't go well, you can try again tomorrow, but that's it. You get one shot per time. It's, it's like an extreme sport in itself. Whereas in film, you can edit. You can say, okay, cut. Let's try that again. Change the lighting, levels, blah, blah. In the theater, that audience that is watching you at that point in time, the way you do it for them, you'll never be able to recreate 100% ever again because we're human. There's always little things that we do slightly differently which means that eight shows a week are eight different shows. Whereas on film, once you've done it and it's cut print, that's it. It'll never change. Um, I, mm, that film doesn't grab me. I mean, is it a case of like, you'll never have, you know, the same show ever twice because each True. show is, is its own sort of, you know, version. You, you can never repeat. You can a ask me that question right? again in exactly the same wording. It won't be the same. That's human, not error, but that's being human, being real. I can sing Music of the Night a hundred times. Not one of those will be identical. Not one of those. The same goes for any performance. Now, get 38 people on stage and do something as complicated as Phantom. The show's always, it's always the same goal, but it's never quite the same in execution. We can be consistent, but even the most consistent actor is slightly different every time. And do you think you have to be a bit of a perfectionist to, to sort of, you know, be a part of this industry? 
I think that's built into the, the job application. Yeah, certainly. <laughs> um, but that's a word often associated with the original phantom, Crawford. Mm. Um, Michael Crawford was known as the tantrum of the opera because he was such a perfectionist. I don't see it as a negative thing at all. I think it's, like I say, that should be a given with this craft. Not to the point that you you fixate on things and lose perspective, but certainly in the pursuit of giving the audience their money's worth. That's important. And so what can audiences most look forward to in Dubai when you hit the stage in October? Phantom's been around for 32 years. This version is pretty much the most brand spanking new version and the glossiest version of it for a very, very long time. We're in an age now where people, you know, there's lots of hype about things and we're all curious. We're waiting for, you know, I'll, I'll wait a few weeks and see if the hype is real. Trust me, the hype is real about Phantom. It's, it is that good a show. Not, I'm not saying myself, but this production, there is something special about it. And I think rather come along and see what the hype is about first before being one of those people who wish they did because tickets have sold out already. So get in there before it's over. Yeah, yeah. And any advice for any aspiring kid out there who wants to, you know, play Phantom one day or just be on the big stage performing to an audience? The best advice I was given by one of my mentors, and this sounds a little bit woo-woo-y, but it, it really did work for me. The word no should be treated as a comma, not a full stop. Because everything in our business is can I, should I, will I, we're always waiting for an answer. And then sometimes that answer is no. I mean, the answer for me originally, um, when I wanted to audition for Phantom, when I was 24, I kept saying, I, I want to play the Phantom. I think I'm better suited for the Phantom. They kept saying, no, you're very young. You know, the Phantom's never, ever younger than 35 or 40. And I went, okay, I'm still going to do it though. And it worked that whether they saw, because, you know, when I Phantom withdrew, they could have brought somebody else in, but I think the tenacity of it and the determination and sheer ignorance of my optimism and my belief in perhaps what I could do um, won them over. And I think in the theatre, as long as people can see that you take it seriously and it means the world to you, and again, that you need to do it, the word no is a comma and not a full stop. Well, Jonathan, thank you so much for joining us on the Esquire Q&A. Thank and you. for giving us a little bit of insight into the man behind the mask. Thank you very, very much. We're very excited for October and we can't wait. Best of so luck to I. you. We'll see you there. Thanks so much for listening in once again this week. Don't forget to hit subscribe on this podcast. And as always, we'll see you with a new star and a new podcast next week.